This is Jared Fishman, and you're listening to the 20-Sided Gamified Podcast. The past 20 years, I've blended games and education together in the classroom. I'm a history teacher, a game-based learning specialist, and I serve on the board of HMGS NextGen Inc. and the North American Simulations and Games Association. I'm looking to broaden my own knowledge of game-based learning by talking to the people that do it best. Pull up a chair, get your dice ready, and enjoy the ride. Friends, as we all know, life in the modern world can be pretty tough sometimes. Whether it's that overwhelmed feeling caused by the 24-hour news cycle or that exhausted keeping up with the Joneses marathon that many people feel like they're running on a daily basis, or simply trying to get by day in and day out. The good news is that there are now platforms designed to provide us with the support we need. Our sponsor, BetterHelp, is a wonderful resource that's purposely designed to be accessible and personalized to your exact specifications. With the click of a button, you can sign up and be matched with a professional of the highest standards, a specialist that can be an unbiased support system throughout your week and beyond. And BetterHelp goes out of its way to ensure that your needs are met. If the professional you're matched up with isn't working out, BetterHelp will work tirelessly to match you up with someone who will. Here at 20-Sided Gamified, we fully and readily support our listeners' goals of living healthy, fulfilling lives filled with laughter, fun, gaming, and stories to pass on from generation to generation. We are proud to have a partnership with BetterHelp, and we hope you'll look into this wonderful opportunity and resource at a time where we all may need a little boost. Signing up for BetterHelp has never been easier. Go to betterhelp.com slash 20sidedgamified to learn more and sign up at a 10% discount for your first month. You can also gain access to BetterHelp through the link provided in our show notes. Thank you so much. All right, 20-Sided Gamified fans, Jared here. I hope everybody is doing well today. If I seem out of sorts, I want everybody to know that I'm actually somewhat doing this live. I guess you could call it live. Uh, I I run my Model UN team at my school. So today's sort of my day off. We're in Princeton, New Jersey. Technically, it's not really Princeton. It's but Princeton kind of hosts this this rodeo. So I have not been getting a lot of sleep. The kids are immersed in. If you've, ever, if you've never done Model UN before, it's just a wild, wild simulation. So I've been kind of keeping an eye on them as a good shepherd would, I guess you could sort of say. I can't say enough about how excited I am about the guest today. The guest today. I'm sitting in my hotel room. I'm looking at this person, but obviously we're not we're not doing video, right? Uh, this is a this is a person who has a very very long standing reputation in the gaming world, and Alyssa comes highly highly recommended. Again, a lot of times you all know this about this show. I I'm not one of those people that just picks folks to be on here. I pick people that I legitimately want to talk to. If you've never heard of Alyssa Faden, I I I don't know why. Hopefully, this podcast will open your eyes to the work that Alyssa's been doing in her career. Um, I want to preface everything as follows. The kind of people that always interest me are the people that are the best at what they do. So let me give you a couple of examples. A lot of you know that I'm a huge music fan. When I think of a band like Meshuga, everybody knows I love heavy metal. When I think of a band like Meshuga, they kind of set the standard for polyrhythmic music. Everybody kind of copies them, but a lot of people might not necessarily know who Mashuga is, you know? Also, if I can make a historical reference, when I think about the Italian artist Giotto, who kind of, in so many different ways, kind of kicked off the, the Italian Renaissance, it's almost like if you look at people like Raphael, Michelangelo, Titian, um, even Caravaggio sort of later on, so many of the fundamentals that those folks were sort of emulating in their work, it kind of all goes back to Giotto di Bondone. And I would say that Alyssa Faden is in this category. Um, Alyssa, I I don't even know where I should even start with this, given the amount of uh, work that she's done. Um, A couple of things that I would sort of point out would be working for Gygax magazine. I mean, really kind of going back to the very beginning of Dungeons and Dragons. And 
this also hits me a bit hard in the sense that so many of my friends have been using AI to generate images of their characters or using AI to generate uh, images for maps for D&D and things like that. When Alyssa tells you about her website and points out to the kind of cartography work that she does, everything starts by hand. Everything is hand-drawn. And it is just insane the level of detail in the maps that Alyssa puts out there. So I could go on and on and on and on. I'm not going to. I'm going to stop right there. And I am going to introduce Alyssa Faden. Hello, Alyssa. Well, after an opening like that, I mean, you could talk for an entire show if you want. (laughs) It's it's great to be here. Yeah, no, it's so funny. You know, uh, I've been waiting for this for a long time because this podcast, I have to say, uh, I didn't think this was going to happen, but it is really becoming popular. And we talked for the first time in August. So the fact that we finally get together and have this conversation is very exciting to me. Um, How are you doing? Doing great, doing great. And I really do appreciate your patience. Um, you know, like you said, we were talking in August about getting this together. We finally managed to do it. Um, I will say that, you know, basically the middle part of the year through to October tends to be really, really busy because yeah. we're doing conventions, right? Yes. And I love running games. I was preparing for Game Hall Con at the time. So I appreciate you kind of just sort of waiting in the wings for me to sort of get done with that. Um, but we're on the other side of game, Hulk Khan, the dragon that I put together went really, really well, raised some great money for, um, at the auction. The, um, the games I ran went really, really well. So I'm out on the other side and just at the point where I'm like, okay, that's enough laziness hanging around. Let's, um, <laughs> gotcha. let's, let's get back into the biz. So, so listen, let's get you know, again. yeah, I'm not going to lie. You know, we were talking about this, uh, before you, before we actually started recording. I don't even know where to start because you just have done an enormous amount. So we're really going to have to kind of pick and choose here. So I'm wondering, maybe we should start like this. Because when I looked at your work, there's plenty of things we can circle back to. But again, I don't blow smoke at people. Everybody knows that. Your maps are ridiculous. Like just ridiculous works of art. And that's kind of where I want to start. Could you... Talk to our listeners out there and explain what it is you do when it comes to cartography. Sure. Your your listeners can't see, but I'm grinning ear to ear because, honestly, ridiculous, in inverted commas, is kind of what I'm going for. Yeah. Um, I want people to look at my maps and, like, look at each other and go, is she okay in the head? Um, (laughs) And to be a little bit concerned about me, you know? So my, my... you know, my story in many ways goes back to, you know, maybe when I was 11 or 12 and at the sort of the final years of school, so to speak, in England. And there was there was a competition to draw something that represented my hometown of Chester. Chester is um, a historical town. It actually birthed from the Romans. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's steeped in 2,000 years of history and has all of the architecture and everything that you would expect for 2,000 years of development. Right. And so they run this competition for school children across all of the schools. And a lot of competitors, a lot of the children, uh, drew what's called the Eastgate Clock. It's this wonderful Victorian clock. It goes over one of the main streets of Chester. It's a beautiful piece. Um, and everyone drew it. That was their thing. Well, I drew the Colosseum of Chester (laughs) in use. So I drew uh, this Colosseum with thousands of spectators. And then I went over it with ink on uh, on top of the pencil, and it took thousands and thousands of hours. It took so long. It was ridiculous. And it was highly unique. No one else had done it. But the main thing was, um, I, I always remember a teacher said this is very i think the the gentleman's name is ian lowry like mm-hmm. lowry was a painter uh, in england um that did these stick figure caricatures of you know i think it was victorian england well i had thousands of these stick figures in there and they all had different facial expressions and they were cheering or they were booing and they were doing whatever but you looked at this piece and went holy god 
what this this must have taken forever and i think that in many ways birthed what i then wanted to do next because my my teacher was amazed i actually won the art contest too because it was just so unique mm-hmm. in so many ways and had that quality of whoever did this are they okay you know <laughs> so when those are the best time- people though Alyssa. Oh, no, and I I, I learned to embrace it. It's like when I started doing maps, um, I'm I'm sure we'll talk about why I was doing maps and so on. But, you know, when I started drawing maps, I'm taking inspiration from the uh, scenarios of the 80s and the campaign packs of the 80s and early 90s. And those maps were fine. They were functional. They were the hex grids with like, you know, symbols on them. And that's what I did to begin with as well. I forget even if anyone was really drawing town maps, what they were. I mean, I'll I'll think of Homlet, you know. Mm-hmm. It was it was good, it was a functional map, but it was it was really the, the purpose of the map was really just for you to know where certain buildings were at, less for you to look at it and go, Oh, that's beautiful. But when I started drawing my own town maps, I found out my and I, I did them ink on paper. And I started doing my same a thousand spectators in the amphitheater thing. I started drawing these teeny tiny buildings and paths and bushes. Well, you know, my friends would look at it and go, wow, that's really good, which only encouraged me to do it again and do it again. And in all truth, I just, I was doing it just for myself at the time. It was when I went professional, actually only about 15 years ago or so, that's when everything just came up and it it just went nuts because people would look at one of my maps and go, wow. And that reaction just encourages me to up it the next time. I'm like, all right, well, if you, if you loved me drawing a thousand buildings, how about 2000 buildings? (laughs) And now I'm going to do the potted plants in front of the the house here, you know? And that's what I do now. I've embraced the insanity. Yeah. No, I, I relate to that. So much because, again, when we were talking a little bit before we sort of came on here, if you look at what I do for a living, I mean, really, I just took my hobby. I took what I enjoy doing. I loved history. I loved games. And I said, I'm just going to make this my job, whether wherever I work, whether they want, whether they want it or not. And it just sort of clicked, you know, so I completely understand where you're coming from. Here's the question. Were you playing D&D before you got into making maps? Like, did one lead to the other? Or were you? was it more like you enjoyed drawing and you enjoyed maps and then found role-playing? How did that mm. work? Role-playing absolutely came first. Okay. Um, so just a, a very quick sort of vignette spin through, uh, you know, the origin of this for me. I was actually a war gamer first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a war gamer because I was a geek and I was a nerd at school and no one wanted to be my friends except for the other geeks and nerds right, and they right. had to play war games. So I was playing a war game with them, went to war gaming club. The game was boring. Someone else was having a lot more fun than us in the corner of this um community center they were playing dungeons and dragons right i wanted to play dungeons and dragons went off got the blue box and the red box started playing but this is an era where it's very early on i mean it's got to be 82 or 83 Mm -hmm. you know it's not wildly supported yes local game stores are carrying some books some scenarios etc but there's not a huge amount out there so I, I didn't want to run in Greyhawk. I didn't want to run in Forgotten Realms. I wanted to create my own world. Yeah. <laughs> you create your own world, you're doing your own maps. Right. And that's where it started because I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to need a map of this temple or this castle or this town. And yeah. so I started populating my own world and therefore had to map it myself. Oh, totally. Again, yeah. I, again, I, I probably shouldn't say this because I do think that if you've never played D&D before, I do think, or role-played at all, I do think that modules can be really great. They can kind of teach you what a, what a scenario should look like. They can teach you what an adventure could look like. They can show you what a map looks like. But I could never do it, <laughs> you know? I would always look at those things and be like, nope, not doing it. Like, where am I going to set my world, you know? So again, like, I identify so much with what you're talking about, you know? Uh, did you jump right into DMing, or were you a player first? I had to, Jared. I had to. Yeah. And, the, uh, and it was literally just by chance. I was literally the first person in my school 
that brought Dungeons and Dragons into the school. That's awesome. <laughs> it, it was kind of uh, that early on, at least yeah. for Chester. You know, it this thing was young. It was right. fresh. So I, I come in. Uh, I mean, I'm literally, I remember sitting there reading one of the wool books and say, asking my dad, Dad, what's charisma? And you know, he was actually struggling to explain. It was that it, it was that young in, in, in yeah. the history of things. So yeah, I mean, I go into school and I, I'm talking to my friends about how you know I've got this new game, uh, and of course, it's not a game like any of us know, right? It's not a board game. This is a game of the mind. So they're all like, "Okay, we'll play it with you." And I'd done a couple of solo games on my own, um, and then. Yeah, we got we got people around the table, but who's the person that knows the rules? Who is the person that actually knows how this thing works? Well, it was me. Yes. So I had to run. But, you know, one of the best parts of running Dungeons and Dragons is it actually got me out my shell. I was a yes. very shy wallflower as a kid. Well, now I have to stand at the end of the table. Yep. I have to entertain six people uh, playing this game and I have to be good at it. And yeah. if anything actually just got me, you, you know, you mentioned being there at the uh, the Model UN. Yeah. This was my Model UN for me. It yeah. taught me to do public speaking and to be okay with it and yeah. to have energy and gusto and so on so forth. So it was a great time, but it, it was me. I had to be the GM. Yeah. So again, kind of a, not a curveball question per se, but I'm just, it's, I don't know, it's just too interesting to not ask. Do you find that it's hard to actually play as a player now because you've dm'd for so long or or do you find that you can go back and forth meaning i'm gonna be the dm here but then i'm also gonna play maybe in a different campaign is that something yeah, yeah, you can that's do? a really good question that's yeah. a really good question so really early on as our homebrew group sort of um matured i'll call it um, what we did is I would run a campaign for, let's say, 12, 18 months, something yep. like that. And I'm now going to switch into the next phase, the next chapter. We would actually run out the same world and let's say skip 10 years or skip 100 years, but evolve the world as we're going. But I need time to prepare for that. So someone else would actually GM for yeah. 12, 18 months. Right. So in fact, pretty early on, I became... A player, even though I always said I preferred GMing. Yeah. Then more recently, I will admit it's, I don't want to say it's difficult being a player. I enjoy being a player. Yeah. But I sit there a lot of the time thinking, I would love to run this game. Yeah. I would like to yeah. do this differently. You know, I would approach this slightly differently. And so I have to kind of, you know, put that to one side it's and just so enjoy hard. the playing. It's yeah. so hard for me. What I do is when I do sit down to play, all I can think about is how are you running this? What do you want? Like looking at the GM, like, what do you want me to do? Like, why did you just drop that clue? Like, I can't turn that part off. Right. Which yeah. don't get me wrong. Like, I mean, because I was about to say it kind of ruined things for me on some level in terms of like being a player. It's just it does take time to be able to separate and parcel those things out. And it does take a little bit of work, you know? Especially, so, I, I had a GM that was running um, a Ravenloft, and I've always, I'm a big Cthulhu player. I should, yes. Let me put that out there. I love Call of Cthulhu. That's yeah. my jam. But Ravenloft has always sung to me, and I think it might be the horror aspect of the dark gothic aspect of it. So listening to this GM running Ravenloft, I was sat there. And I, I just, I just wanted to run Ravenloft. I was that's like, I, I, right. I just wanted to get up and say, look, sit down. Let me, let me do this. I could yeah. do it better. And that's a terrible thought pattern to have. So I really do try to compartmentalize the DM yeah. in me, like yeah. you're saying, and just yeah, totally. get on with the playing and enjoy the playing for what it is. Yeah. Did you grow up uh, reading Lovecraft? I did not. My mm. actual introduction to Lovecraft was the Call of Cthulhu first cool. edition box set. Gotcha. That's when I got uh, uh, like introduced into all of this and learned that no, this this thing goes back several decades. It's yeah. much bigger than this yeah. game. My crowning achievement as a teacher—I shouldn't be saying this, but I will. My crowning achievement as a teacher is when I first started. I worked at this unbelievably conservative school, and somehow I don't know what this says about the administration, but. I taught the rats in the wall, which is one of his uh, one of one of Lovecraft's short, short stories, and I just did it without anybody really knowing, and it was by far the kids' favorite story of the year. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was, this is a really long time ago; it was like twenty years ago. So, 
Um, but no, this is all this is all very, very, very interesting. Like I said, I was joking with you earlier. Like I feel like we're not going to be able to do all of this in one sitting. So we can kind of pick and choose what to talk about, you know? Yeah. So, okay. So bringing it back. So I, I think the listeners definitely have a feel for who you are. I, I, I think we have a good sense of, you know, what's bringing you into your profession. So I guess maybe, would you be cool talking about when you kind of became professional, meaning like when you really professionalized and started making maps for public consumption. Could you talk a little bit about what that was like and what that process was? I guess, what was it like to kind of get that started? Because I'm sure there's lots of people out there that wish they could do the same thing you did, you know, professionalize something you love. So I don't know what yeah, you think. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I love to, because honestly, it was kind of an accident. Mm-hmm. So I'm on social media. Um, my apologies for your younger listeners. Um, Facebook is my jam. Yeah. That's my age group. But I was on... I was on Facebook and there was a group for old school role playing and people are sharing their artwork and their maps and things like that. Right. And I'm like, this is kind of cool, but I'm, I'm kind of, I want to say pretty shy, retiring, very modest uh, uh, at heart. So I'm like, I'm not going to really show anyone what I've done. And I'm going, you know mm-hmm. what? I'll scan in a piece. I'll scan in a piece and I'll share it on the group and I'll just see what people think. Right. And I was expecting nothing from doing this. It's probably my first time I've ever really shared something that I have creatively sort of put together. Right. And people fell out their seats. I shared this map of one of my cities that I'd literally done 20, 30 years prior. Mm -hmm. And people were like, wow, wow. Do you have any more? Yeah. And I was like, well, yes, <laughs> I've got this one and this one and this one. I mean, I've got like, I had about 30 maps that I had mm. done, you know, from the decades prior. And every single time I shared one, people were like, these are incredible. And which was great. I mean, honestly, for someone that's actually a little bit sort of shying with timing, actually having your ego stroked a little bit, I was like, oh, well, thank you very much. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. This, is, this is really cool. But then the tone shift, because someone said, will you do one for me? Mm. Will you do one for my company? I will pay you to draw a map for a module I'm releasing. That was the turning point. Right. And I even remember the city was called Black Bat and it was a vampire city. And it's the first time that I'd ever done a professional piece, so to speak. So I did. And I continued to share my work and other people were asking me. And it was always individuals to begin with, maybe their homebrew games or their self-published modules. And then one day, um, Cobalt Press contacted me. And they were like, will you do us a city? But we actually have a city that we'd love you to do. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, Cobalt Press. They want right. me to do a city. Now, the city itself, I felt very confident in, but they were like, we want it to be full color. Now, keep in mind that I am ink on paper. Right. And I typically don't do color. So I'm like, how am I going to color this thing? Like, Because if, if I if I put crayons or felt tips or whatever it is to this paper, it's going to look awful. Right. I'm going to have to buy myself one of those new fancy dancy monitors that you can actually draw on and color on. So I went out and I bought myself this like $2,000 Wacom tablet, which is looked like a monitor that you can lie flat on your desk. It literally weighs 90 pounds. Oh, wow. And I, that was the first time that I had actually, let's say I bought something because I was going to do a professional map for now a bigger tier publishing company. And that was a transitional moment without a doubt. Because now I'm drawing digitally. I'm doing my say, I I actually in that particular map, I scanned in an ink piece that I did and then I colored it digitally. But then from that point on, I started doing my hand-drawn technique on the computer with a stylus directly drawing on the monitor as if it was a piece of paper. Right. And that, that, that just blew everything away because that enables you to zoom all the way in and get really small details. It enables you to do control Z 
and back out right. of something. Right. It, it, it enables you to experiment a lot more. And I didn't expect that because I'm like, well, let me try drawing it. You can't do that with income paper because you're going to mess up. Right. But that's that's honestly how I got into it. It's like I just started putting my work out there and people started saying, will you do something for me? And right. then that transitioned into, I actually had Monty Cock approach me at one point. We're like, right. will you do up some maps for us? That's and crazy. So, and th- that was just simply from me sharing my work. That is crazy. So at this juncture in your career, I mean, is it safe to say that um, making maps, meaning, you know, you'll give all your information at the end of this pod so people can look, but everything that's on your website, and is this basically what you do for a living at this point? Is, no, is no, no. In all truth, so, it's not. So you do no. something else, and then you do this kind of on the side. Yes, yes. Okay, got, uh, it, got I, it. I am blessed enough with a day job that pays for all of the toys, the toy soldiers, the little monsters, the yes. paints, the hobby supplies, the books behind me on the shelves. Right. Um, and I realized some time ago, I will never draw maps and get that level of income Right. The day job can be right. gotcha. so I do both and effectively I end up with like two little jobs which is yeah. why, one reason why people say how do you cram it all in no, yeah, yeah I love it I just love doing it you know well, at the so, end of the day stop mapping that's obvious like it's so obvious that you love what you do which is in the world that we live in it's it's a relief to me <laughs> do you know what I mean because I don't know about you I just meet so many people who are so miserable uh, you know, doing doing the sort of mundane jobs that they do, regardless of how much money they make, you know. So it's it's relieving to me to meet someone like you, you know. Um, so I wanted to make one other connection. So just when I was listening to you talk, so you still paint miniatures quite a lot, right? Yes. So why don't we talk a little bit about that now? When you say you paint miniatures, do you still con- do you consider yourself a war gamer as well? Oh, yeah. No, I am. And actually, on my social media, I describe myself as a hobby enthusiast because yeah. I do really have fingers in so many little parts. Yeah. But no, I love I love painting miniatures. The first miniatures I got were like back in 83 or something like yeah. that and started painting them myself. But I was painting war game miniatures before then. Right. And I honestly, I, I love board games, but I adore war games, mm-hmm. particularly historical war games. I have a weakness for the, um, I want to call it early Republic period of Rome. I I adore the Napoleonic period. I think it's a period that doesn't get enough love because it's such a visually fascinating period and a politically fascinating period. So I am a big, big, big war gamer um, through and through. Uh, But I also just love collecting miniatures. I have thousands and thousands and thousands of metal miniatures for the most part. Right. And I love painting them. And I've transitioned now into actually creating dioramas and the likes of the conventions I go to. And then they auction them off for charity. That's awesome. So when it comes to painting miniatures, and by the way, when it comes to like my nonprofit and my own background, um, it's just funny. We've never met, but I feel like we have so much in common. Um, I mean, our bread and butter is historical wargaming. So we speak the same language here. Do you, are you more of a painter or do you actively play? Is it, or is it just both? Oh, I both. Okay, awesome. Absolutely both. No, very cool. Do you have any- It was being the active painter that got got me into all of this. Because, you know, someone wanted, one of my geek friends wanted me to paint some Polish hussars, which were converted from an airfix kit of something else. You know, so I get thrust these plastic soldiers into my hand and like, will you make paint these as Polish hussars? I'm like, well, if I'm painting them, I want to play. Yeah, you got to push them And that's what transitioned this whole thing. I love playing war games. I love running them. I love painting, but I love playing them. So are there particular rule sets that you really like or particular games that you're a big fan of? Oh, man, I, I will honestly, I will play almost with any wool set. Back in the day, yeah. I was a huge fan of the really crunchy, I'm going to call it granola wool sets, yeah. where every turn is four hours. Yeah. They're, counting, they're, they're calculating the trajectory of the second bounce of a cannonball. Yeah, 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 yeah. Voice yeah. I used to love that. You can't yeah. do that nowadays. No, you can't. Time is too short, right? Yeah. So I actually, I quite like the whole series and I know that they have their lovers and their haters. Yeah. But the Hail Caesar and the um, Black Powder wool yeah. sets, Pike and Shot. 
that for me they work pretty well. You can get a pretty good game in at a four hour period, yeah, which which works pretty well for me. So I'm I'm a fan of those rule sets. Yeah, but you know what? But I appreciate that you also like the other ones too, because I don't know. I, and I'm I'm guilty of this, by the way, because sometimes I'll poke a little bit, you know, depending on what the topic is for the day. Because again, like you know, obviously there are some things that are left to be desired about games like Black Powder. And at the same time, you know, you don't want to necessarily, or at least for me, like you don't necessarily want to be pouring over chart after chart after chart, you know. But there, there is a world in which there might be one day where you want to pour over the charts, and there might be another day where you just want to push the miniatures across the table. And it's it's just funny how wound up people get in the hobby about like which rule set is quote unquote good, which is accurate. You know, and, and so on and so forth. I don't know if you've ever ever ended up in those kinds of conversations oh, 100%. or not. hundred yeah. percent. No, I mean, look, I I think part of this too is the audience that you're running a game for, right? And if you've got an audience where they want to play Waterloo over a three day period, then you know what? Let's crank up the complexity of these rules because that's probably the audience's expectations. But if I'm going to go to a game convention, yeah, and I need to get the Battle of Tudorberg done inside a four-hour window, and I've got eight players around the table. I need something that's way more fun and engaging. Like yeah. I need something that really gets people cheering and so on. So, like in that instance, I actually came up with a modified version of some DBA, yeah, um, and introduced a card system. So every round, players are picking up cards. I made some cards with nice like artwork and everything on them. So it gamified it a little bit. But now my players are sitting there in little huddles going through their cards about what they want to play next. They're thinking yeah. about their next turn, even though it's not their turn right now. Yeah. And that's what you need at the table. I did Watling Street once for your listeners. That was a huge battle when Boudicca went up against the Romans um, in her final battle. But purportedly she had like 80 or 100,000 people uh, on that battlefield now that's a huge 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 battle to put on the wargaming table get it done in a four-hour period and whilst keeping everyone really entertained used a completely different rule set i think again it was dba at its heart had some card systems you know in play too just to keep everything and everyone was super engaged with it so i think there's an audience for everything. And yeah. it's like, what does your audience want? Play to that. Yeah, absolutely. And on that note, because uh, you've, you've brought this up, up a, a few times, you're, it seems like, correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like you're very active on the convention scene. Is that, is it fair to say? Yeah. No, 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 that's fair. That is very fair to say. I do about four conventions a year. Uh, GaviCon, North Texas, Chaosium Con and Gamehole Con. Right. Th- those are staples. And then occasionally I'll sprinkle in another one like Total Con or something like that. But and those I are, love going to conventions. And those are those are in in, um, in the Western United States, right? No, most are actually uh, central or central. towards the east. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. You know, because, you know, it's funny. Like, I, I feel like for me, I, have you ever been to any of the HMGS cons? I used to actually be the director for HMGS uh, Envelope out oh, here in the Pacific okay. Northwest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, gotcha. went there several years, and I was a director there for a while. No, that's awesome. So, uh, like, I'm more familiar with all the HMGS cons that were on the East Coast. I, You know, it's funny. So a lot of the names that you just brought up, I've heard of them before, but I've never been to any of them, you know? So are these these cons that, that you're going to, are they kind of uh, – Role-playing, tabletop wargaming, uh, board games, is it all kind of mixed together or are they kind of genre-specific or... It's all mixed together. That's the beautiful thing about it. All, yeah. all of those conventions... So I'm going to put Chaosium Con slightly to one side because Chaosium um, obviously have their own product lines, RuneQuest, Call of Cthulhu, etc. Yeah. And they won those games there, right? So it's really... It is a Chaosium yeah. published works festival let's call it the other conventions though uh, i'll pick on gary Con. sure uh, gary Con out in lake geneva that it's a, a great location it's in a ski lodge and it is predominantly role-playing games but there are also board games there and there's always a, a hmgs section of cool. miniature uh, wargaming going on always oh, that's awesome and so when i went to let's say north texas for the first time 
I actually ran a war game there because oh. I wanted people to see a war game. And so we, we did some kind of war of independence, but it was center of the main room. And yeah. so people were walking past just like, oh, what's this? And I, I like that aspect of war games. Even if people don't play them, they always stop and they're intrigued. Yeah. Because it's so visually appealing. Yes, I, I've heard this. I've I've heard similar things. I've experienced similar things. There's just something very cool about seeing miniatures being pushed around around a table. You know, it's so physical. It, maybe that's the best way to put it. You know, just physical and fun. You know. Well, I know it's slightly off plot here, but you know, one of my fascinations and one of my loves of life is history. So yeah. you probably like that being, oh, well, you know, that you, does, you I feel like we're kindred spirits, Alyssa. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. And, and again, I'm not fronting. Like, I'm just saying, like, I kind of wish that we lived near each other so I could run a game for you and vice versa, you know? <laughs> so I, I love history. I, I think history uh, doesn't get enough love in return, without a mm -hmm. doubt. Uh, I love military history, specifically, like I mentioned earlier, the Roman period and the Napoleonic period. Yeah. Because to me, there is nothing that boggles the mind more than the concept of having 100,000 men on a field somewhere yep. and hundreds of cannon going off and thousands upon thousands of musket fire and like thousands of men in a cavalry charge. My brain breaks trying to visualize that. Yeah. My, my senses can't even imagine what it would be like. Right. And a war game table is certainly not, not a good representation of it, but I think comes as close as I'm ever going to have in my life of seeing what it would look like, you yeah. know? And so I love the big games, the thousands of miniatures. I like to set up my table so they look like a diorama, you know? Yeah. I, I want them to be a visual treat, and I want that visual impact of it. Because the real thing just would have been way more, but this is what yeah. we got. No, totally. And I can see a connection, too, um, between, you know, how you just described the reasons for why you're interested in military history. I mean, it seems to me there's like a direct connection to the way you design your maps and how just engrossing they are and just how detailed they are. And I would imagine, um, I'm just trying to think of how I want to phrase this. I'll speak for myself. I can imagine after looking at all the different maps that you have, I feel like I could just take one of those maps that you make. And it's almost like every year just set a different game in different parts of the map, you know, just because it's so there's so much vibrant detail. It would be hard, like, again, speaking for myself as a DM, as a GM, uh, my mind would just go crazy with wondering, oh, what's that building or what could be there? Who might be walking there? What story is there, you know? So I definitely see a connection with with your love of wargaming. Well, Jared, you've actually touched upon something that I actually try to bring into the mapping sphere that I think separates me from a lot of other cartographers. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some cartographers out there who are top tier, and I take great inspiration from their works. I deeply admire their works. But what it starts to get into the realm of, I'm just going to call it pure art and it's mm -hmm. almost overdone while on the other side of the scale you have maps that are a little bit more like a mall map in that they are intended just to show you where something is located spatially next to something else right right and they're very dry and they have no soul and there yeah. was actually a, there was a a Paizo map that I, I got in one of their adventure paths one time. And it was a map of a city and the artwork aspect of it was very nice, but it had no soul. Mm -hmm. You could not imagine or lean in and say, who lives there? What's going on there? It didn't have that. It, 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 yeah. it had, it had no energy of its own. And I realized one thing that I bring to the table is I kind of walk the line between the two. I'm not going to create this. Uh, I think my maps look extremely beautiful. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I'm not shooting for a high art piece that is more art than map. Nor am I trying to shoot for just a number one is the tavern. Number two is the smithy. I want to create a piece where it looks lived in and where the players and the GM alike are drawn into it because they can see areas locations and stories in fact i used to twitch stream a lot of my mapping uh, as as i would draw i would be talking 
And I've done some videos, too, uh, on talking about my methodology for creating city maps. And it's always down to I put myself onto the map, into yeah. this location. And I think my role playing has helped in that respect, because it's and especially my GMing, because I'm imagining the stories. I'm imagining walking up to the town and what I'm seeing and like what is this what does the city walls beyond look like then what is the first thing that i see when i go through the city walls into the area beyond and i'm not only trying to imagine what the uh, evolution cycle was of the city itself and how did it grow and who did build it and why did they build it and what was the method did they ever span the river and if they did span the river was it with uh, like some kind of boat system with a ferry was it with a bridge did they ever invest in that is it you know I'm thinking about all of those aspects, but I'm also thinking about the people on the ground. Like, where would where would our more impoverished people live? Where are our richer people living? Where is our main industry? And I start to try and shape the actual stories and the people and what they care about. I don't just draw a little park, but I'm doing the little footsteps about where they would actually go in this park. And well, they'd have some little benches around this pond here. So I start to draw that because I picture myself literally there as I'm right. drawing it. And I think you start to see a lot of almost, I call it soul, but this, this hidden depth to my pieces where it becomes this very living, plausible place. And I always, and I, you'll hate me because you're a GM, I mm -hmm. always put things in there where the players are going to go, well, what's that? Yeah. Pointing to a hut in the middle of the forest outside of town. And right. the GM goes, I don't know. Let's find out. Yeah. And it becomes a journey together. That's what I want my maps to do. Yeah. You lean into them and every time see something new. Yeah. Well, no, I don't hate that at all. Because ultimately, you're describing to me the most fundamental, important thing that separates really, really, really good GMs from everybody else. Know your world. If you know your world, you can literally give your players the kind of experience that they might find in a, in a video game like World of Warcraft. Go wherever you want. And I and it's it's actually that skill. When, when my buddy and I uh, at my old school designed a class pretty much about D&D and about storytelling and about how to use something like Dungeons & Dragons or role-playing to better under your, understand yourself, better understand the world, that was one of the most important skills that we kind of explained to the kids, which is just, if you know that you're going to set your game in this neighborhood, I don't know, what do people eat there? What kind of languages do they speak? What kind of buildings are there? What do they look like? Uh, what's happened there recently? And, and again, I think what's really important about your maps is not everybody can do that. That is a, a, a skill that I think comes naturally to some people and isn't for others, meaning the kinds of people where it's like, I got to go to a module. I got to streamline it so that I make sure that my players do exactly what I want them to do, which to me is just anathema. But what your map does is it can give inspiration to those folks to help them open up their creative brains and really design something where the players never feel like they're being railroaded. Does that make sense? It does. And I think what I try to bring to the table is my almost storytelling GM side of me into a visual format in the form of the map yep. itself. You know, whether whether I'm doing a city or actually a, a dungeon map, my dungeon maps tend to do the same thing. I'll start yeah. drawing little details in there where you go, well, what's that? Yep. Um, and that, that's what I that's what I want to try and get. I want I want everyone around the table to go, you know, when you're talking about maybe moving between buildings and trying to sneak up around the back or something, I want you to look at one of my maps and see that there's actually a fenced off area that looks like there's a chicken coop right there, but there's a little alleyway that actually goes through here. And there, oh, there's a little path that actually comes down the slope. It looks like I could walk down there. I want you to be able to start picturing the scene in minute details. Yes. Uh, anywhere on one of my maps. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Everything you're saying, again, you know, it's it just, it's always interesting to me to meet somebody. It's almost like this whole podcast has kind of been like your artist statement. And the artist statement 
is so obvious in the work that you create. Does that, again, I know, like, well, am you. I making sense? Yeah, like, it, it's just, it's like going to an art museum and reading a statement and then literally seeing it visually. So because of the amount of time that we have, so we're, we're starting to get a little bit stretched here and I knew that this was going to happen. Uh, so Alyssa, unfortunately, we will have to, we will have to go down this road again because this was just too much. Selfishly, this was just too much fun for me. However, before we get to that wrap-up phase, I do have one other one other question about the the uh, conventions that you go to. Now, when you go to these, are you, are you primarily going there to work? And if so, what are the things that you do at cons besides you know running a game? Like usually, you're saying like you ran a miniatures game. Are there other things that you do at them? Yeah, so no, that's a that's a really good question. So I started on the convention circuit because I was invited as a guest. And I think as a guest, you there's a there's there's obligation to you know, I'm gonna say perform, so to speak. So I absolutely run games. I make sure that I run games to all of the conventions I go to. I'm known for running eight hour, nine hour Call of Cthulhu games. Yeah. And I go prop heavy because yeah. I love props. So I try to create a wonderful experience at the gaming table. I, um, I I run panels. I sit on panels where we talk about not just mapping. I've done mapping um, things with Anna Meyer, for example, and we talk about our uh, design methodology and our creation methodology. But I also sit on other panels, like small publisher panels, how right. to get the most out of uh, your artists. Or as an artist, how do you interact with the publishers out there to ensure that you're doing the right thing? And so I, so it's more of an industry discussion I try to bring to the table. Got it. Got it, got it, got it. And how long have you been doing that for? Is it since, because I, I was reading your bio, is that since 2012? Or I've been sooner? mapping professionally since about 2012. Uh, maybe, well, yeah, professionally, about 2012, 2010. I've been going on to the convention circuit and more 2018, 2019. Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So, so again, Alyssa, I, I just appreciate this conversation so much. Um, we do, on this podcast, I feel like we've done a lot about miniatures, but this was one of the first times between working with you and the people from Coyote and Crow Games this is really the first time that I started to dive deep into role-playing and role-playing is just such a huge part of the gaming experience for me. So in that sense, selfishly, I just thank you for, for coming on and having this conversation. And I guess uh, in terms of, you know, getting to at least a wrap up for today, this is my question. Um, because again, you know, there might be some people listening because I have a lot of, I have a wide range of people who listen to this. I have teachers, I have professors who use games in the classroom. Uh, I have miniatures, gamers, role players. Here's my question. If somebody wanted to find your work, if somebody wanted to have a conversation with you online or see some of your videos, uh, could you explain the best ways, you know, for someone to kind of find you or the best ways to get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. And I have no problem with people getting in touch with me anywhere. If right. you go to alyssafaden.com, all my social media tags are there. But I go by alyssafaden.com everywhere so on okay. instagram Alyssa faden facebook Alyssa faden okay um, i'm on threads too so uh, maybe if you're one of the other five people on threads i'm also <laughs> Alyssa faden over there yeah, but yeah Alyssa gotcha. faden you will find me now lissafaden.com links off to everything all right cool that's awesome so we will have to figure out what we're going to talk about next and again selfishly i feel like i've been saying this a lot to the guests that i've been bringing on I, I got to come to a convention that you're at at some point. So we're going to have to talk about that uh, at some point or another. That would be fun. Yeah, I think oh, it'd be, it'd be great. super, super fun. Because like I said, there's always, I know I, I probably sound super lame right now. I bet you there's somebody out there like, like laughing at me that I sound like a fanboy. But again, like the funny thing is, is this is really my first time meeting you. And it's just the things that you're talking about resonate with me so much. Everything from, what you were talking about being in school and being, you know, maybe the first person to bring a game and maybe being a little hesitant or maybe being a little bit shy. You're describing my experience and you're probably describing the experience of a lot of other people out there. And I hate to say it this way, but like, we're the cool people now, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah, we, are. Such a, we really are. It's such a different world. And again, it's so easy to hate on the crazy things that happen in our world, especially nowadays, uh, whether politically or when it comes to these crazy wars that are happening. But 
in some some ways, we are getting better, I think, as a species. We're getting a little bit more understanding of folks. You know what I mean? Which well, makes I, me I will say that for yeah. me, role-playing games represents a huge part of that getting better as a as a species and coming yeah. together as a people. I, I will wrap my part by saying that there was one time when I was at a local gaming store. It's a big store and they do um, open gaming tables. And I just, I was running a war game actually there. And I looked across to one of the tables close by and there was a mixed gender, mixed ethnicity group of kids sitting around this table playing Dungeons and Dragons. And I, I, I inwardly grinned because I'm like, yes, that's what it's all about. Yeah, right yeah, there. totally. That's what totally. it's all about. Listen, if you listen to the podcast that I recently did with a group out from the Midwest called Our Family Plays Games, we literally just had the same conversation, both their perspective from the things that they've been doing. And then for me, like seeing kids and stuff like the jock football player yep. sitting next to a doctor's kid, sitting next to a plumber's kid, there's something about games that can bring us together. And role-playing games in particular are really good at it. So, yeah. all right. I feel like I could go on and on and on. Um, I think this is going to be a very temporary goodbye because unfortunately you're going to come back on. <laughs> I, I will take, I know I'd love to keep talking to you. Yeah. But there's so much we 100%. can talk about. Absolutely. So Alyssa, thank you so very much for coming on. I really, really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. And for all of our listeners out there, uh, I'm going to release this episode with, uh, another episode that I'm about to do in a few minutes with another interesting person, which uh, I'll introduce uh, introduce him technically in the in the next episode. So I hope that everybody's well. I hope I survive this model UN. Have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful day, people. Goodbye. Thank you so much for listening to today's twenty sided gamified podcast. I hope you got as much out of the conversation as I did. If you're interested in learning more about the organizations I work with, please visit www.nextgengaming.org and www.nasaga.org. My Instagram handle is HMGS underscore NextGen underscore Inc. Until next time, be well, get some gaming in, and roll some 20s. Thank you so much.